Amen. You know, I think that was probably the most enthusiastic I've seen you in a long time. Uh, Graham, why don't you just stand? Graham uh, is now our new chef that's going to be... How do you like that, Graham? Say that. That's exciting. I've discovered something. You know, I jokingly say our church is about feasting and fasting. And uh, I I don't see quite the same enthusiasm. We have days of prayer and fasting, but uh, I'm just teasing you. I I love it that we can get together and and, uh, fellowship and eat together. It's so important. I believe it's biblical. Uh, Read the scriptures. Always a key element of the covenant was they sealed that covenant around a meal. And so meals in the ancient world were extremely important. So I'm excited about it coming back. How many here today, you are a volunteer for VBS? I want you to stand right now. Please, all the volunteers, we have a a VBS starting up here. Okay, yes, let's, let's stay standing. Okay, all right. I wanna pray for you. Uh, I will be leaving tomorrow. Uh, but you're going to be continuing doing ministry, so I think that's so amazing, and we will be praying. Patty and I will be praying for VBS all week long. My prayer is that God's going to use you and anoint you in a powerful way, but also, not only will young people get to know Christ, I believe this will be a moment God speaks into many of their lives and calls them into areas of ministry and vocation. So let's believe for that. Father, We pray today for these workers. I pray that you would anoint them and bless them. I thank you. So many have been praying and seeking and preparing. And Lord, I believe that you want to do an amazing work this week. I believe kids' lives are going to be changed. I believe your word's going to be implanted in their soul. It's going to be cultivated over time. Some of them you're going to speak into their lives, not only to give their lives to you, but Father, to give their lives in service to you in various vocations. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen, you may be seated. I'm gonna have you turn in your Bibles this morning to a different prophet. I know we've been studying Jeremiah. Uh, We will get back to Jeremiah, but I I decided to go in a different direction. I had a funeral this week, had a very uh, challenging week, in a good way, it was a good challenge, but I want us to look at probably one of the most majestic chapters of the Old Testament, and it's found in the book of Isaiah chapter 40. And it'll fit right in with our series because really, uh, uh, Isaiah is actually uh, speaking to the nation after she's been disciplined in that time of captivity. So we're gonna jump ahead a little bit and take a look. I think there are a lot of people today that feel that God has forgotten their address. I I believe that. There are people feeling alone, they're hurt, they're in despair, uh, there's challenges before their lives, and it feels in their heart and mind that God's a trillion miles away. And, And I think we've all gone through seasons like that in our lives where we've wondered because God maybe has not responded in an anticipated way. It's not been a realized expectation. And so I think sometimes we wonder if God has really seen our plight and will he ever rescue us from a prison of pain? Not just physical pain, maybe that's part of it, emotional pain, psychological pain, but spiritual pain. And the only problem of surrendering to our emotions, and you know, how many know when you're at a low point in life, you don't always make the best decisions? Anybody realize that? That's not a good time to make life's major decisions. Uh, I, I think it's better to get through that moment and then think about what you're about to do. So we don't want to be just making emotional decisions. Because I think what we need to discover 
uh, in, not only do we need hope and comfort, which I think we all long for, but above all of that, I think we need to understand that we are in a spiritual battle. I think I brought that out last week. There's a tremendous battle going on, and we need to understand that aspect of life as well. There's forces that are unseen, endeavoring to array itself against our souls, endeavoring to defeat us, endeavoring for us to give in to despair, endeavoring for us to faint. All of those things are happening all the time. We can't see it. Could you imagine if we could just... You know, I think it'd be shocking if we could have our eyes open once in a while, see what was really going on. I think it would be very enlightening. We'd be kind of like Elisha's servant there when he saw the heavenly armies surrounding the earthly problem, right? The scriptures say here, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we're not talking here about just the superficial needs that are closer to the surface in our lives but rather that inner longing that every one of us has. I I believe the deepest need we all have in this room is to be understood, to be loved, to be accepted. You know, we we long for that. We long for, you know, for God uh, to give us a deep sense of security. A lot of people feel insecure in life, and there's a lot of insecurities that people battle. And then I think, you know, especially what's happening in our world today, I feel like people are losing a sense of confidence in the future. How many think that's probably true? And probably more so than ever before. But if you and I are a child of God, when we see things falling apart, Jesus gave us an amazing word of encouragement. He says, just lift up your heads. You know, your redemption, your deliverance is getting closer. So instead of, you know, despairing because we're seeing things around us maybe coming apart, we need to begin to look up. And that's what I'm hoping is going to happen this morning, that we're going to get an upward look. We're going to see God in a way maybe we've never seen him before. And I think that's really going to impact us. And I, and I believe that when we really have a true understanding as who, who the nature of God is, it changes us very dramatically. I'm going to look at verse, I'm going to start, I'm going to be jumping around this chapter, so you're going, I'm not just going to go sequentially, so hang in there. Uh, And Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27 says, why do you say, O Jacob, Jacob is a name for Israel, a name for the people of God, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? In other words, where are you, God, right? My cause is disregarded by my God. I feel like you're not paying attention to me, you know? I kind of, you know, changed the, this is my paraphrase of that statement. Where are you, God, when my life is falling apart? Okay, that's a more contemporary uh, translation, if I was to translate that verse. Has anybody ever felt this way? Where are you, God, when my life is falling apart? Uh, Anybody have moments in your life where you feel like your life is coming unraveled on you? You know, the, the wheels are falling off? Yeah, and you're saying, God, where are you in this time? I do love you. I'm your servant. Where are you? Why is this happening to me? You know, I I was having an amazing conversation this week with one of the families in our church, one of the brothers in our church, and he was not really complaining. He was just telling me his story, and I said, oh, you sound like Job. I mean, this whole world is falling apart. And so he wanted to know, am I doing something wrong, pastor? That's a good question, right? And I, I, I find, and he says, I know I'm not perfect. I said, well, nobody's perfect. But I said, no, I don't think you're you know, necessarily doing anything wrong. I think God is allowing you to experience some challenges in your life, and it's designed for you to learn to trust God in a way you never have before. That's the purpose behind what is going on in this situation. So <clears throat> often we think that the problem is that God doesn't, is not aware of what's happening. 
God is obviously aware of what is going on. But I think we rarely see ourselves, you know, as the problem because when we get upset, we usually get upset with God. Last week I talked about that. Jeremiah was really angry at God. Uh, And especially when God seems indifferent to us. He seems indifferent to our plight or our pain or our present predicament. We feel that way. But could it be that in our world we take ourselves far too seriously and God not seriously enough? And I say that not, not in a malicious way, but I think you and I are living within our own skin, right? So we're at this kind of the center, and it's really difficult to move ourselves from the center of our universe to just make us part of the periphery of the universe and allow God to be at the center of our soul and to move ourselves away from dead center. I think that's a huge, huge challenge in our lives. What do you think? Moving out of dead center and letting God rule and reign there. And, and, and allowing ourselves to see that we're a part of something greater than ourselves. We're a part of a bigger picture. We're a part of God's economy. Yes, God loves us. Yes, God created us. Yes, God has a purpose for us. Yes, God cares about us, but we're not it. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not at the core of the universe. God is at the core. And we, we have a right relationship and understanding of where we fit into the picture. Uh, and so I, I just put, could it be that our world originates with ourself at the center and God somewhere on the sidelines? And I think in a lot of people's lives, that's probably true, right? And for some people, God's not even made it to the sidelines, you know? As far as they're concerned, he, he's not even around. But I think that happens. I like what G.I. Packer says, the Christian instinct of trust and worship are stimulated very powerfully by the knowledge of the greatness of God. And... You know, I was listening to some lectures here uh, this week. I'm just skipping some stuff, and I want to get to this quote. Let me go back here, make sure I get at the beginning of it. Yeah. So Tozer said something very interesting, and I remember reading this book years ago, The Knowledge of the Holy. Anybody know who A.W. Tozer is? Okay, some of you. You know, if you want to read some some stuff with some real substance to it, uh, he he was a pastor in the 1940s and 50s. Uh, He's long gone, but his writings are so profound. And he's challenging the church. And here's what he's trying to get across to the church. You know, so often we have a very marginal view of God. We have a, I I would argue we have a low view of God. And in our culture today, we have a very high view of humanity, a very low view of God. The problem is, we need to invert that. We need, to, we need to have a biblical understanding. We need to have a high view of God in a lower view of humanity because people are gonna let us down. We let ourselves down. Isn't that true? So as human beings, we got some issues. But God, I, I don't think we really get how great God is. Now, he says this statement. He says, what comes in our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How many think that's an interesting statement? You just think, meditate on that for a minute. What you think about God is actually the most important thing about you. Because how you see God is gonna shape your life in a very powerful way. He says the man or the woman, he's just speaking in a general term here, mankind, person. The person who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems. Isn't that, that, what is he saying? He's saying, 
All of us are sweating a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't really matter because our view of God is so tiny, we feel like we gotta rush in and take care of all these problems. And a lot of people are running around frantically, fretting, anxious, frustrated, uptight, right? And all of those things don't matter in the bigger picture is what he's trying to tell us. He says, for he sees at once that these have to do it matters which at the most cannot concern him for a very long time. In other words, these are all transitory. They're all passing by. They're all circumstantial. They're not gonna last for a long time. So our view of God is critical to our spiritual well-being. And so that's why I want you to go to Isaiah 40. We're gonna look at four aspects of God's character that will deeply encourage us. My prayer for you today is when you leave this place, you go, wow, am I ever encouraged? Man, did I ever get a, I, I got a new glimpse of God this morning and I am so pumped. I mean, I have giants in my life, but I feel like King David right now as a little boy. I've got my slingshot, Pastor. I'm racing out of here. I'm all excited. I know giants are going to fall down in my life. How many want to leave the building like that? Yeah, you're you're not a giant slayer. You know, the giants that have been, you know, stepping all over you, all of a sudden now you're running out of here saying, bring the giants on because I know who my God is today. Isn't that what we want to get to? So let's take a look at these Uh, beginning here uh, in uh, verse eight. So what is God like? Well, God is consistent with who he he is. And you know, I know we sang that song, nothing is impossible with God, but there are some things impossible with God. He can't be other than who he is. He's gotta be consistent with his character. And that means that he's never gonna lie. So that's one thing God cannot do is lie. Isn't that neat? God's not gonna be other than who he is. That is so powerful. We can hang on that. Listen to what he says in verse eight here in chapter 40. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Now, this is all poetry. This chapter's poetry. What's he saying? God's word is eternal. So what does that tell me about everything else in life? Well, it, it just tells me that, you know, number one, words are powerful. And uh, they are so incredibly powerful, they actually reveal our hearts, they reveal our innermost beings. They actually judge our motives. You know, a lot of times we say things we probably shouldn't. I, you know, they're actually used by God to create faith and life, hope and healing. Words are powerful. Jesus said, you can say to this mountain, be thou plucked up and removed, cast into the sea, is gonna do it. How many get a sense this is powerful stuff he's telling us, you know, those things that we're saying. Now, I'm not suggesting you and I are just speaking to, for the sake of speaking. I, I'm talking about the stuff that comes from our innermost being. That's what I'm talking about. It's coming from deep within us. It's the essence of our being. We're not talking about, you know, us saying things that we really don't believe. I mean, you know, people are duplistic at times. They're saying stuff they don't really buy. They're, they're just selling you a bill of goods, but they're not even convinced themselves. No, I'm talking about the deep down stuff in us. It's coming out. We're saying it. I'm afraid, you know, uh, or, you know, whatever, whatever the issue is, whatever is inside is going to come out. You know, we're actually told by scientists that every sound we utter goes on indefinitely through the atmosphere. Is that thing? That's kind of interesting, isn't it? No, like words have life and they just keep moving. They never end. You know, Jesus taught us that the effect of our words, good or evil, believing or unbeliever, go on eternally. So then words live forever. You can't just go, whoops, take that word back. It doesn't work that way. Now we can ask God to forgive us. I get that. But once they're out there, they're out there. That's what we're saying. 
You know, it, I think we've got a deeper sense of it now with all the social media. It's amazing to me what people say on social media. Do they have any idea those words can never be taken back? And there's a lot of things said that probably ought not to be said. Actually, when I read the book of Proverbs, it says if you say less, you're probably considered wise. There's a lot of people saying too much. Amen? Uh, I think so. Jesus goes on and, and tells us the power of our words. I think we underestimate it. He says this, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on that day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Wow, is right, you know? Be quick to listen, slow to speak. How many, know? I, I was so challenged by James 1.19. I think when I like became a new Christian, I, I memorized that verse because I thought, I'm guilty of this. I had to say, God, would you please set a guard over my mouth? You know, right? Anybody else have that problem? You know, you're speaking before you're thinking. Anybody else have to deal with that issue? You have to think about it. So you, you're working hard. You say, Lord, help me to think before I talk. Just a thought. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. In other words, I don't think we realize that we're actually telling on ourselves. You know, people tell, tell me all kinds of stuff. I just listen. And it's amazing what you learn if you listen. And people are telling you where they're coming from all the time. You get a really good insight if you'll listen where people are, are at. And I think this is what I'm going to say. This is where I'm going with this. Too often we allow the words of men to affect us more than the word of God. How many say that's true? Is that not true? We allow the circumstances of our lives to have a greater impact on us than what the word of God says. We allow the temporal and the temporary to have a greater impact on us than that which is eternal. Isn't that amazing? You know, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will abide forever. I, I think we need to know what God has to say. I think we need to realize that God's word is more real, has more substance, and will endure the test of time, whereas circumstances are coming and going. Right? How many, you can remember back to your problems 15 years ago? Well, you might. But for the most of us, we can't remember what happened to us, you know, three weeks ago, let alone 15 years ago. But at the time, I mean, that was the biggest thing going on in our life, right? Because we're living in the moment. But I want to encourage us today. We need to have a deeper sense of confidence that what God has to say is going to sustain us through life's continually shifting, circumstantial coming and goings. Isn't that true? That's so true. Here in Isaiah... He's writing about the promise of Israel coming out of the Babylonian captivity. And isn't it interesting that judgment's purpose is to produce peace in our hearts? That's an interesting thought. Think about that. You know, a lot of people, we don't like it when we're corrected. But actually, correction's good for us. I mean, that's true. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I, the longer I'm living, the more I realize... You know, you, you have to learn how to accept correction. Correction will make you a better person if you receive it in the right, right manner. You'll, you're going to grow as a person. A lot of people refuse to be correct. You can't tell them anything, and they just keep doing the same bad things to themselves over and over again and same bad things to others over and over again. We need to receive and say, hey, that's not healthy. 
and we need to be corrected. And God will correct you. I can guarantee you, you're a child of God. God will discipline your life. He actually says that much. God disciplines those whom he loves. And we need to learn from it. But Israel now had been judged. Now, now was a moment of comfort. How many appreciate that after you correct someone, you need to affirm them? You need to let them know you love them and care for them. You need to comfort them. If you're correcting someone, they need to know that this correction is not a, 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 out of anger or malice or revenge or any of those things, that your correction is out of a heart of love to see them do well. Listen to what God says here in verse one. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Wow, this is a message of restoration. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you love it when God's, you know, after you've made mistakes in your life, God comes along and forgives you and then restores you. How many love restoration? I love restoration stories. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for all of the HG shows that you take an old beat up car or a beat up house or a beat up whatever and people restore things and I just marvel at the restoration I love restoration. God's in the restoration business. He loves to take our beat up lives and restore them. He loves to take our messes and recapture them and do something amazingly good with the brokenness that we give him. Isn't that amazing? How many think God's amazing? You know, I, I'm just amazed. You know, I just, Patty and I just recently saw a Netflix film. I, I, don't, I don't recommend most films, but I'm gonna recommend one. Show Me the Father. How many seen that? Anybody seen it? Show Me the Father. I guarantee you, you'll cry. It is so, it, you, know what, you know what it'll do to you? It, it's, it's a documentary about the, the workings of God and restoring broken lives. It's a restoration but it's on a human level, and it's all about Christ. It's blatant. It's Christian. I can recommend it, no problem. It's good stuff. Uh, that's what he says here. You know, God does speak tenderly into our lives after times of testing and trial, times of discipline. He wants us to be reassured. Then we read here in verse four, every valley shall be raised up. I like that verse. You didn't get it. You'll think about it some more. Every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged place is a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What's he doing? God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna diminish the proud, I'm gonna elevate the humble. That's what he's basically talking about. God loves to do that stuff. He does it all the time. Here we see this experience of the power and presence of God restoring our lives and, and out of it, then we have something to communicate. You know, wasn't it after David's time of correction? Could you imagine how courageous Nathan was to re, rebuke the king? And he tells him a story, and then he goes, David, you're the culprit. David was all upset because it was an injustice being pointed out to us. And David's sense of justice rose up. He said, that guy needs to get it. Nathan goes, yeah, but you're that guy. And David got very contrite and was very broken. And because he, instead of, you know, resisting God, you know, a lot of times when God's correcting us, we want to resist God and say, yeah, yeah, but you don't know the circumstance. Forget it. Just accept God's discipline. Then it says, David says, 
This is his prayer. I love it. One of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Listen, when you and I experience God's restorative work in our life, the first thing we want to do is share that with other people. Oh, God did this amazing work. God took me through this deep challenge and restored my life, and look how good God is. And when you start telling people these beautiful stories of God's grace in your life, people are interested. You know why? Because most people, they have brokenness in their lives. They want to know the road to restoration. They want to experience what you and I have experienced by God's grace. And I think we need to share that. When when you've gone through it, you're more apt to talk about it. You know, it's real to you, and so it was in David's life. He goes on here to say in in Isaiah 6, a voice says, cry out. I, I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. What's he mean by that? Well, it lasts for a season, but then it doesn't endure, ultimately, right? Then he goes on to say, the grass withers, the flowers fail because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. In other words, we have a timeline. You know, it goes by fast. Life goes by quickly. I'm telling you, I'm warning you. Maybe you're young, you think you got all this time in the world. You know, just, I was just listening, someone told me today, uh, one of our young people from our church family, they were working with their boss, he got stung by a bee. He did, you know, he was trying to, rest- you know, doing CPR on him. He did it for about 40 minutes. The ambulance came. They put him in the ambulance, took him off, and he died on the way to the hospital. Yeah. You guys probably don't realize how, you know, I was actually reading this a while ago. The most deadly insect is the bee for people. There's more deaths caused by bee stings than any other insect. Isn't that amazing? I'm just pointing out to us that our life is fragile and it's brief. It's transitory and goes by quickly. That's what he's saying here to us. And that's why he reminds us, but the word of our God endures forever. Then he goes on to say, you who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. In other words, be seen, speak out. Bring good tidings to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. (laughs) Isn't that our problem? Oh, as human beings, we're so fearful. How many have ever read Hind's Feet on High Places? Isn't that a great allegory? And what's the main character's name? Much afraid. Isn't that interesting? Aren't we like that as human beings? We're afraid to do this. We're afraid to try that. You know, we're, God has to keep telling us, don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. I think we need to say to people, when people are saying and telling us things and there's problems, you should be able to say, but here is your God. Look how good God is. He's bigger than that. He's greater than that. We can look to him. Let's pray together. Let's believe God. He can do something in that situation. You know, one thing that I've noticed, you only develop confidence in someone uh, based on the knowledge of their character and ability and their loving concern for you as a pastor. Isn't that true? Once we know a person loves us and we know that they're able, you know, you have confidence in that person. Can I tell you, God is able. And he is loving. And he's worth having confidence in. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I mean, look at the second aspect. He has unlimited power. You know, he's got an eternal nature, but think of power. And I think, I think when we think of power, we always think of power like unrestrained power. But 
There's also a power under control, you know? It's described as gentleness or meekness. Certainly, that's what meekness means, to have power under control. God is a restoring God. He's a nurturing God. He's a shepherd who's guiding his sheep, but doesn't mean he doesn't have power. Listen to verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. This all-powerful God is so gentle. That's amazing. He's a gentle giant, if we could say it that way, right? Uh, You know, so often people use their power to abuse other people. That's so tragic. God actually dislikes that. Isaiah also describes the limitless and the immensity of God's power. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands or the breadth of hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? I mean, this is, you know, how many know this is kind of an anthropomorphic language? God is a spirit. He doesn't have a physical hand. But for you and I, this is going to help us think about it. God is so dynamic and powerful, it would be like scooping his hand down going, oh, I got the whole Pacific Ocean in my hands. That's a pretty graphic image, isn't it? You know, or I think I'll relocate the mountains over here and just put them over there, you know? Can, can you imagine? It's just that kind of a imaginary thing going on in my mind anyways. Uh, it says here in verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They're regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? He's speaking to the nation. He's saying, look, your your image and vision of who God is is too limited. That's what Isaiah is telling us, isn't he? That's what he's saying. Look at verse 21. He goes on, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Do you guys remember this stuff? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. How many have ever gone into a field full of grasshoppers? You know, my family is from southern Saskatchewan. They have farms out there. Man, sometimes I've gone out there and you're walking through the fields and there's grasshoppers flying everywhere, right? I mean, that's a picture. All these grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught. You know, all the, you know, when I, when I listen to people get all excited about political leaders, I go, why? In, in God's scale, he can bring them down real fast, folks. He brings princes to naught. In other words, he reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. I mean, the greatest leader, a, a leader of the world at that time was Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He controlled the whole world. There was nobody his equal. He's walking around saying, there's nobody like me. And the next day, God says, I'm tired of this language. And we read the scripture, the next day he's out in the backyard eating grass like the cows. Lost his mind. Got brought down. Hey, we get all nervous and excited about who's doing what. I think we lose sight of who God is. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he, he blows on them and they wither. And the whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Well, they were a big deal back when. No longer. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brought out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. He knows the name of every star. 
Do you know the stars, they, there's no limit to them. God knows them all by name. You know, I'm listening to lectures on the attributes of God. I loved it. This one guy was saying, God knows everything. There's nothing God does not know. He knows everything and he's always known everything. You can't tell God something new because he already knows it. He's way ahead of us guys. That's what we're saying. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. He's put everything in order. This world works. You know, I've done a little studying and I recognize if you move planet Earth a little bit away from the sun or a little bit too close to the sun and we don't exist. Is that pretty impressive that God puts us exactly in a place where this planet can sustain human life? Don't you think God knows all that stuff? He did it on purpose, you know. I'm, what am I trying to get across here? We're sweating a lot of small stuff we don't have to worry about because God's in control. That's what I'm trying to tell you this morning, you know. I, I love the story. This is, uh, Patrick O'Boyle tells a story about Frank, Frank Sheen. He was a Catholic author and he was a publisher and, He'd go out and speak to groups, and one day he was speaking to a large group, and there were hecklers in the crowd. That was normal for him, and he was, he was quite witty, you know. Finally, one guy was so annoying and persistent, and he said to him, you know, he's kind of pointing out all of the world's problems and ending, and said, I could make a better universe than your God. To which Sheen replied, I won't ask you to make a universe, but would you mind making a rabbit just to establish some level of confidence? <laughs> Did everybody get what he was doing? I mean, come on now. Let me look at the third aspect of God's nature and character is that it focuses on, a, on his unsearchable wisdom. Who can truly grasp what God is doing? Does God have a counselor? No, he doesn't need a counselor. Do we really understand what God's about? Not really. You know, we're trying to get some insight. You know, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? The answer is nobody. Uh, verse 14, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? What's the rhetorical question? What's the answer? Nobody. Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? God already knew all these things. You know, that, you know, and then, so the story's told here uh, of Augustine walking on, you're probably at the Mediterranean. Somebody wrote the ocean. I think it's the sea. He, he's walking along. He sees a little boy and he, this little boy is actually, uh, playing with a seashell and he's scooping, you know, a hole in the sand and then he goes down to the waves and he gets a little bit of water in his shell and he's pouring it into the hole. And he's, so Augustine's so fascinated by this little guy and he's just working away and he says, what are you doing, my little fellow? And he said, I'm gonna pour the sea into that hole. Ah, said Augustine, that's what I've been trying to do. Standing at the ocean of infinity, I've attempted to grasp it with my finite mind. In other words, he was trying to understand God and he realized this is like pouring, you know, the ocean or the sea into a little bit of sand. It's, it, you're never gonna do it, is what he's thinking. God is infinite. That's what he's trying to say. You know, and then we walk around, we're going, well, what's God doing in my life? God goes, listen, you wouldn't get it if I explained it to you. So we'll just leave it at that. You know, you ever had somebody, you, you, you just, you know, somebody who's brilliant, let's say in algebra, and you ask them, can you explain this to me? And they look at you and you go, not unless you understand algebra, it's not gonna fly. Isn't that true? You're not gonna get it. And a lot of times, you know, we're asking God questions and God's going, it's above your pay grade. Sorry to tell you this. You're just not gonna get what I'm doing. It's way above you what I'm doing. You just gotta to learn to trust me. I, I think the real issue in life is an issue of trust anyways. That's the bottom line. Um, he goes on to say here, 
He knows the course that each of us must run in order to grow in our relationship with him. And it's different for every life here. God's designed you differently. God's created you in a different context. He's got a different purpose, ultimately to become like him, yes, but he's got different things going on. So he's allowing different things to happen to each one of us. He's aware of the pressures that we're undergoing. He understands all those things. But you know one of the things that's the hardest thing in the world to do is wait. How many here, patience is not your strong suit? Anybody here? You know, some of you have probably, I have to say, I'm lear, I've, I've learned patience over time. That's what, I'm learning that one. You know, and a lot of times we've tried to make things happen. We're trying to fix the problem. How many here are fixers? Anybody here a fixer? Any fixers? Come on, okay, we got a few. All right, we're gonna take it into our own hands. But you know, the problem with that is we need to learn the hard lesson of being still. It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked scheme. How many fretters are there out there? Any fretters out there? Anybody get excited because bad people are doing bad things and seeming getting away with these bad things and you're getting more upset about it all the time? Ah, let's be still before the Lord. You go, that's so hard. I, I just want to you know, do something. Yeah, prayer is doing something. Waiting on God is doing something. It's actually really hard to do. I'm being honest. You know, verse eight, refrain from anger, turn from wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to what? Evil, we get sucked into it. It's a vortex, you know. We're gonna get drawn into that whole way of thinking. You know, look at Saul, the classic story. Samuel tells him, listen, wait for seven days. I'll come along, we'll do a sacrifice. God's gonna establish your kingdom. But there was a little pressure on Saul because he had a whole army in front of him and his own men were terrified and they were starting to leave and he was getting nervous that he wouldn't have anybody to fight with. And so we pick up the story. What have you done? Of course, Sam, Saul actually offers the sacrifice. Saul says, well, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I want you to notice the eyes in this, this sentence. I thought... Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings. How many eyes did we read there? There's a few, right? Three. It was all about I, I, I. And doesn't that get us into trouble? You know, I thought, you know, I felt. Are we catching on? That's what gets us into trouble. And it certainly got Sam, uh, Saul into trouble, Listen, Samuel, you acted foolishly. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have. Isn't that interesting? You didn't do what you're supposed to do. God doesn't feel obligated to fulfill what he had promised you because you messed up. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and appointed him a leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Wow. Why do we take things into our own hands? Here's the reason. Because we really don't trust that God will come through. Right? I want to take a pause. Thank, thank the church. Listen, I've had you praying for over two years for my nephew's wife for a kidney. And it was a crisis. She was at a crisis point. But you know what? It was interesting. They were just saying, God 
whatever he asked for us, we accept. And a young woman came and donated her kidney. She had the transplant this week. Immediately, everything started working beautifully. Just like right now. It was a miracle. Somebody walked in and said, I want to donate my kidney, and it was a perfect match. God's time. So my nephew says, please tell your church family, thank you for your prayers. And he said, I want to just tell them that throughout these last two plus years, every day people were praying for us. We felt God's grace sustaining us. And we said, whatever God wants for us, we're content. How many know when you go through experience like that, you grow? You develop character. Something's happening on the inside. Very powerful, good stuff. To a man undergoing the greatest spiritual battle in his entire life, God rebukes Job for questioning his wisdom and power. Isn't that true? And isn't that what we do when we're under a lot of pressure? We just come unglued, and Job really was losing it. And Job, listen, Job was blameless. He was a very godly person. I want you to know that. But under a lot of pressure, sometimes we don't do too good. Anybody else? Can you, anybody relate to Job at all? Of course, we should be able to, right? You know, but then God, because he got so mad at God, he wanted to put God on trial. He said, you've been unfair to me, God. And I have a whole bunch of questions for you, and you're going to answer me. I want, I want to be the person that asks all the questions. God says, okay, tell you what, Job. If you can answer my questions, I'll answer yours. Does that sound fair? Isn't that good? In other words, God says, I don't feel accountable to human beings to answer for my behavior. I think the accountability goes the other way. We're accountable to God. So he says, the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? In other words, you're going, you don't even know what you're talking about, Job. Okay? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimension? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? So what was God saying? You have no idea what you're talking about, Job. I don't think I'm accountable to you. So let's look at life from God's perspective for a minute. This is what I love. Look at verse 15. I'm coming back to this verse. I love this verse. He says, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. You know, I think the first time I ever preached this sermon, I had a bucket and I put one drop in and I made sure it was a plastic bucket so it would go thunk. He said, now all the nations represent that one drop. So if you (laughs) break this down for me, Canada is even less than a drop. So my life is even less than a drop's drop. I don't know. I mean, it's really tiny. I mean, we we really don't, we're not a big factor when you really get down to it. It, It's it's pretty, uh, you know, I think it, it kind of brings things in the relationship to what's going on. God is so beyond what's going on in our world. And yet here we are panicking out of our minds and God's going, I got this. And we're like chewing our fingernails, you know, sweating bullets, fretting, going through all these motions. Come on, isn't that the truth? Yeah. I think we have to remember that God is in control. You know, this is gonna tell you how old I am, but I remember as a little child, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Some of you weren't even around then, because that was in the 1960, 61. You probably heard about it. Maybe you've heard about it, maybe you didn't. Do you know, this was after following World War II, you had the Cold War, and then you still had countries armed with nuclear missiles, which we've lived with now for 70 years, but at that moment, it was the 
first days of really trying to develop this Cold War between the Soviet Union and the United States, and people were living with bated breath because Khrushchev, the premier of that time, sent missiles to Cuba, which is on the back door of the U.S. And Kennedy, the president then, said, you send those, Cuba, you send those missiles to Cuba, that's a provocation for war. And I'm going to tell you, you could literally feel the tension at that time. I'm, people were living in, in pins and needles. I was just a little boy. I was not that old, but I could feel the anxiety in my parents. I could feel the anxiety in the people around us because the people at that moment thought the world was going to come to an end. There was so much tension. Most of you don't even know about it. Isn't that amazing? We survived it. God's in control, folks. I'm telling you, I don't know what your problems are today, but God is in control, and he's greater than that. But here, let me close with my last point. It's, it's really um, understanding the strength of God and the ability for God to give us his strength. And I think this is so powerful. Look at verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fully fathom or grasp or get. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope or wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Now, you know, this is a very interesting word. They will renew. That word renew, you know what that really literally means? Exchange. Isn't that beautiful? How many here say, you know, Pastor, I'm so, I'm so discouraged this morning. I'm so weary today. I'm so, you know, I, I just don't feel like I can make it. I don't know if I can go on. Listen to what he's saying. They that wait upon the Lord, you and I can exchange our anxieties, our despair, our heartaches. We can just bring them to God. He says, I'll pour grace in you. You can, you can bring your, your, your problems, the things that are causing you to stumble, the things that want to make you give up, the things that want to make you quit. Jesus said you should always pray and not to give up, not to faint. This is what happens. People get into these fainting fits. That's Charles Spurgeon's statement. You know, there's a whole chapter on, 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 for ministers on fainting fits. I love that chapter. You know, we should never get there. Why? Because there's a great God. Let's get a vision of how great God is. Let's take our brokenness, our weakness, our struggle, and bring it to God and say, okay, God, I'm going to exchange all of this nonsense in my soul for what you want to put inside your strength, your grace, the awareness of how mighty you are. Well, let me close. We're going to stand right now. As, as listening to uh, uh, Tony Evans, he shares this little picture. One day he was running through the airport. And some of these airports are big. I can relate to what he's talking about. And he was running and running, and there was a guy, he was basically hardly moving, and yet he was going by him. How many know they have these little escalators that if you get on them, they actually make you move a lot faster? We've all seen those, right? Listen, when you and I make this exchange with God, it's like getting on the escalators. It's an amazing thing. We're caught up by the Spirit of God. He's empowering us to live this life. You can't do this in your own strength. That's what I'm trying to get across. But maybe we're here today and we're saying to ourselves, man, 
I, have a, I don't have a high enough view of who God is. And I know that today because I've been fretting, I've been anxious, I'm upset, I'm worried, right? What am I trying to tell us? Let's lift our eyes up. How many here say, you know what, Pastor? That's me. God's speaking to me today. I, you know what? I have allowed myself to get overwhelmed by the challenges in my life. The circumstances are affecting me in a negative way. How many are willing to admit that? That's me today. Okay. I want to pray for you. How many here say, you know what? I want to make an exchange with God today. I'm here today. I want to make, I want to just, I want you to just bow your heads for a minute. I want you to lift your hands. I'll say, okay, God, here they are. All the things that have been weighing on my heart, the things that are dragging me down, the things that are discouraging me, the things that seem to be overwhelming, the circumstances that are, that are terrorizing me. I'm fretting over the state of my country, my province. I'm fretting over the state of our world. I'm fretting over the future. I'm fretting over this. I'm fretting over that. But God, today, I'm giving them to you. I am exchanging my fears for the confidence that you're bringing into my soul right now. I pray that you will help me. I'm, I'm going I'm to just exchange my fears for your confidence. I'm going to exchange my weakness for your strength today. Lord, I want to leave this place that even though there are giants in my life, I have a vision today of how great you are and that no giant is greater than you. Father, today I'm receiving those five smooth stones that David picked up by the brook. That Goliath that's standing before me, it's coming down because he's defying the name of the Most High God. It's not my enemy, it's your enemy. And I'm trusting you right now. You're gonna bring it down. It could be whatever the challenge is in your life, we're just committing it right now to God. Father, we're receiving grace upon grace upon grace this morning. We're receiving faith upon faith. We're receiving wholeness today. You're bringing healing. You're helping us just spend a moment. We're waiting on you right now. We're receiving life. We're receiving life where death has reigned. We're receiving hope where despair has prevailed. We're receiving courage where we have been so discouraged and in dismay. We've been fearful, but we're receiving your courage. We're receiving it this morning. We're receiving, we're making this exchange right now. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.